If you see something, say something. At Reply, weird things come with any weird story you find on the web, and you can help make weirdthings.com even weirder. Bandwidth for the Weird Things podcast provided by Wired Tree. For sites of any size and world-class customer service, head on over to wiredtree.com. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome to Weird Things, the podcast. I'm Andrew Maine, joined by Mr. Brian Brushwood. Huzzah! I'm back to America. I tried out Canada. Wasn't for me. Their money was too awesome. They got Braille yeah. on money. They got they got hockey on money. They, they make them out of acetate. And I was like, this is too yeah. awesome. I, I belong back in the U.S. And Mr. Justin Robert Young. Hi. <laughs> you're not going to comment on the on the Florida money that you're still trying to spend in California? Exactly. No, I I've, I've collected all all sorts of local ducats as I as I completed my my mid-Atlantic and eastern seaboard roadshow. I can only imagine what forms of barter you might be engaging in the Bay Area. But that's right. You were you were on the East Coast for how long, Justin? Uh, about two weeks. Yeah. All right. So you, uh, you were, uh, you by nature are not a video game player, which is strange because you were head writer on a show all about video games, but you found yourself deeply, deeply in love with a certain Ubisoft title. Uh, yeah, yeah. I think uh, I talked about, um, before or when we did this show last week that I was about to do, a thing with the go game for uh, Assassin's Creed three and and uh, gosh darn it if I didn't and uh, it went really really well and that game looks awesome and like killing redcoats is like in my interest yeah like, it, that's that's a it's like hey would you like to be friends with Thomas Jefferson and George Washington and Ben Franklin and also murder people during the Revolutionary War <laughs> and I'm like yes that is a fantasy I would Jump, like to fulfill jumping out of trees I guess you're what like a like a Native American right you're an Indian. Uh yeah yeah you are you are in the assassins order uh, as as the the series has gone but basically I saw a lot of really awesome cinematics of like George Washington like losing a battle and the next thing you know like the main character just kind of comes out from like the back of the the, the ramparts there and just runs through the entire field of battle and awesome you know jumps up and shoots somebody with an arrow it's great so uh, it's awesome go check it out I think it comes out on October fourth right on. Cool. Well, let's get right to the news, boys. The important news. I don't know what you've been seeing on the sheeple television, but the real <laughs> news is about to begin right now. That's right. Right. We're going to deprogram you, then reprogram you. <laughs> As a deprogrammer. So, so uh, I uh, saw this on Twitter, and then it got leaked out. Our, uh, our Tony Stark, our hero, Mr. Elon Musk. Yes, yes, Stark. yes. I just watched, by the way, Iron Man 2 again, and there was that cameo where, you know, Tony Stark thanks Elon for the Merlin engines, which are the actual engines in the SpaceX rockets, which is kind of cool. And then he's like, let's get to work on that electric jet. You know, it's like, yeah, I want that crossover. <laughs> but uh, they, he put out a video. It's a little short video, but it's of the testing of the Grasshopper platform they have in Texas. 
Now, you got to keep track. Remember, they have a space base in Cape Canaveral. They have one in Vandenberg. They're yeah. working on the Falcon Heavy. And then they've got one in Texas. They're expanding where they're testing their reusable rocket. And that's what the Grasshopper is. It's this test platform to test the systems to make a fully reusable three-stage rocket. And they put out the first video. It was just a six-foot burst. It just, it was just went six feet into the air, the little rocket going up just to test it. In a few months, they're going to try going for a few hundred feet. Um, you know, meanwhile, uh, Bezos Blue Origin has been testing. They they had a high altitude test a while ago and it blew up, but they're still going through the stages. But Musk is trying to do a fully three stage rocket. So SpaceX had their first test of that. And that uh, is wait, so, wait, uh, you're talking about the three stage rocket where each stage found its yeah. way back to the. So they platform? just tested just like a platform with one engine, you know, fuel, et cetera, just to see it you know, go up and come back down. Only went up six feet, but it's on the pad. They're testing these things right now. It's not conceptual. It's not a PowerPoint presentation. I mean, there's money being spent and researchers working on right now a fully reusable rocket, which would totally change the entire way. I mean, this is like, in many ways, it's like we had a ton of glider experiments. We had some experiments of trying to build powered flight, but then some bicycle engineers from Ohio went to Kitty Hawk and figured out how to solve the control problem. Okay, so last week, did I talk about reading Abundance? I'm sure I did. Yes, yes, you did. Yeah. Okay, well, I mean, that's all I could think about when I hear this is the efficiency, the fact that we're able to achieve uh, more and more impressive feats, whether it be space flight or efficient travel or green energy or whatever, and we're doing it cheaper and cheaper and cheaper. Um, I, I could not be more excited for any of this. And I'm way thrilled to see how many people have jumped on board uh from uh, like I, I I don't know last week I said what should I read and a bunch of people recommended stuff but then like over the last week maybe a dozen maybe two dozen people have asked me like what was the one book you mentioned on weird things what was the one thing you mentioned on such such so it's like it's way awesome to to know that other people are following in this journey as you descend into all these books that lay out the possibilities for the future of mankind that's exciting I mean absolutely it's exciting when. You're, we're starting – I think we're kind of turning a corner right now where people are able to look at sort of the positivity out there and realize that there is – we do have a more rational, objective, scientific approach towards looking at technology and enterprise. And you know, as we see more people talking about like the things you saw in abundance and more people looking at that and people like Elon Musk and you know Bezos and some other people out there who are – really trying to build an exciting future. It's exciting. And that's what I love about this little, it's only six feet off the ground, but it's millions of dollars of resources are being spent right now for a form of space travel that would be even cheaper than a space elevator if it works. Oh my gosh. Well, let, let me, let me ask you this in, or it in, can in help comparison, uh, and not really in comparison, but, but in the same week that you had the Endeavor flight to Los Angeles uh, and, and everybody uh, obviously went out and especially on in California uh it was a it was a big thing that everybody went out and, and looked at it and there was a sense of melancholy uh to like you know I, I think I saw somewhere on Twitter like you know open wake or op- open casket open casket yeah. wake sorry uh you know it just it, it seems like we are obviously it would be very easy to say that we are at a turning point in terms of uh way where where space travel is but you know for me, I kind of found it to be like everyone's like, oh, like, hey guys, like, don't be sad. Like, we're doing a lot of really, really cool stuff with space. Like, it's like a really exciting kind of place to 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 be. You know, like, 
Why all the long faces? Yeah, man. It's uh uh I don't know. I think I think part of it is that we all we all enjoyed the myth of what made the space shuttle great just as much as we enjoyed what actually made the space shuttle great, mm-hmm. you know? And it's like it's um we're entering a new phase where the efficiencies of space travel, the advancements of what we've learned over the last, you know, 30, 40 years are making possible cheaper and cheaper flights. And and the problem is is that cheaper flights does not make for good visuals for the 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 nightly news, you know, as if anyone watched the nightly news anymore. But it's like it's like uh instead it's one of those ideas that is super important but doesn't capture your heart the way seeing that first launch of the Columbia does or something. I, uh, I, I agree. I'm going to say that I think an analogy and I hate analogies, but I use one is that, you know, we, we could have had a future in 1903 where the only people that ever had airplanes would be the air force. Yeah. And what would the future look like if the air Force, or the army air corps, whatever, what would the future have been like if that was the only thing and, and having this rapid, incredible development in the private enterprise did not diminish what we were able to do at the upper end collectively via government, et cetera. And you know how air power changed warfare and probably for the better, even if you, we had some horrific wars and then we didn't have any more big ones. Um, uh, so I, I guess I'm kind of excited by that because now it's just and yeah, watching, you know, the kind of the, the, the melancholy people said when they saw the shuttle, but it was like the shuttle was a dead end. It was a very much a dead end idea. We did some great things with it, but it was, it was a political idea and not a, not a real tool to do the things we wanted to do. Now, uh, you know, we have, you know, we have Pathfinder on Mars, which is great. I'll bring up the next story in a second, but Justin, you were going to say something. Oh yeah. No, I was just, uh, I was going to say, so I, I happened to go to the San Francisco Giants game with my little brother on Saturday. And during the uh, seventh inning stretch, they had you know, saying, take me out of the ball game. And then they you know showed all these, you know, great moments in Giants history and these like kind of over the top, you know, iconography. But the biggest pop of all was for the, the endeavor flying over the, the golden gate bridge. And I think that is really indicative. Uh, you know, the excitement there is about our love for space. And there is a collective, uh, uh, you know, beyond the the geek and nerd element of, you know, like how we get there and, and how fast we get there and how close we are to getting there. There's a general base reaction that we as humans kind of have to to uh, to this idea. And uh, I, I tend to think of it as, as much more of a positive thing than I think some of the uh, so some of the reactions were with with uh, Endeavor that, you know, that we've we've given up on space because I really don't think that we have. I And it's like. I, I, I think we're in this period in the late 80s or early 90s where people are like, well, yeah, computers are kind of going kind of good, but really where are they going to lead us? And we need some big, huge initiative or something like that to take us really further. And then, you know, you know, Tim Berners-Lee figures out how to make it human accessible. And then some guys in Utah or whatever figure out how to make a, a really efficient web browser. And then all of a sudden everything changes. So uh, this is way ahead of schedule, but it totally makes me think of one of uh, the, the the picks that I'll mention later on. But I'm reading uh, The Long Earth by um, Terry Pratchett and someone Baxter, Stephen Baxter, I think. I'm not sure. Stephen Baxter? Yeah. Sounds right. But, uh, but basically the idea is, is that uh, the planet Earth, um, somebody discovers a, a rudimentary gizmo that you can buy with $20 of parts from Radio Shack 
that uh, has a switch that's labeled either east or west. And you can flip a switch and you jump, you step, as they put it, to the next world over. And, uh, and it's the same Earth, but, you know, different backstory, you know, and as you keep on going, the Earths get stranger and stranger and farther away from the way our Earth turned out. There are some Earths where uh, there's no moon and uh, and there's even one Earth where uh, they, they step forward and very briefly they find themselves suspended in solar orbit. You know, just, you know, at some point the Earth got obliterated. Uh, and uh, the 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 question is, and, and I don't want to spoil too much about it, but there is an entity that is super intelligent that uh, thinks about the bigger picture. And he thinks, number one, what a tragedy it is that now that we've discovered infinite Earths to explore, that we're never going to go into space again. Because why would we? You could always just step into to the next world over. Uh, but on the flip side... Uh, until you know, half the book he spends complaining about that, but then you get to the point where there's this world where you can step over and then you're in the void of space. And his point is, you know, maybe this is what would make space travel possible. Imagine if you could build a craft and step it to the next world over where the earth had been blown up and now you're in space, you could travel wherever you want to go. And then maybe maybe even go to Mars and then step to other Marses where you could find a Mars among the uh, the multitude that uh, that actually sustained life or whatever. But uh, but I really enjoyed that. Well, that was a, you know kind of a, a little bit of the premise more of Pandora Star was the idea that we developed this form of kind of space tunneling and opening portals from here to other planets and right in the middle of our our first launch on Mars and then kind of like the idea of building rockets and stuff seems so quaint. And we rapidly expand yeah. the universe and are still using diesel-powered trains to move stuff around. Sure, sure. <laughs> Which I love that that idea that, you know, while we focus on one thing, do we lose sight of something else? More people. And, and that also that, that that kind of advancement, uh, you know, even in, uh, as a science fiction ideal, that it came not from the incremental way that we think about it, you know, like, uh, uh, but but rather the unforeseen uh, gigantic jump that, well, and that so you know, often, on, and so often that's exactly how it turns out. I mean, if you look back at the uh, scientific advancements in history, it's like uh, from a geological perspective, it's like there's eons of nothing, and then a, a switch is flipped, and the whole world transforms overnight. Well, I'm going to get what? right into the second part of this right now, then, okay? Because it's a two-parter. Go. All right, go for it. NASA has apparently picked a leading candidate for its next major mission. And it's been circulating around. They haven't commented on it directly, but apparently what they want to do is they want to build an outpost that would orbit, would hover in an orbit on the far side of the moon. Yes, and yes. Please do this. Well, the problem is... God damn it. I knew there'd be a problem. <laughs> this is... All right, go ahead. Uh, we, we have... They're going to have to deal with much, much more radiation there than they've dealt with before. The travel to time is immense. We don't really have a practical way to sort of get there. They they plan on saying, and this is this. Whenever I hear this, this scares me because this never works in the history, all the way going back to Roman engineering. It does not work. But the uh, documents obtained by the Orlando Sentinel show that NASA wants to build a small outpost, likely with parts left over from the hundred billion dollar International Space Station at what's known as the Earth Moon Lagrange Point, a spot about thirty eight thousand miles from the Moon. International cooperation on that level, 
borrowed parts, all these things. They sound really good on paper, but when you go to do it, it just don't work. You end up having to rebuild it, redo oh, it, everything. Hold on. I saw 2010. The Leonov and the and the other ship, they teamed up at the end, and, and peace reigned. I mean, link up? Yeah, I'm on, I think there could be sort of kind of like what you take the bureaucracy you have to do here. <laughs> and you take the bureaucracy there. All right. Then you take the global, the, the 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 international space station. It is even hard to justify the science we got out of it because of the extreme cost. I mean, it was just what we said it would cost, what it ended up costing. And again, international space station is an amazing technological achievement. Sure. That thing is the. It's oh, easy to forget. That thing is the size of a football field, and that is up there in space right now. That is amazing. Have, have we really not gotten anything out of it? Because I always, in, well, my, in the back of my mind, I always hoped <clears throat> that maybe they were manufacturing medicines or something. In, in- you can, the, the problem is, is that you can, it, for the cost that was spent on it, and we could go do a scientific survey of your backyard and measure the genomes and everything else we'll find there, and we will get research out of there. And I, I get into this – I have this discussion with sometimes, and it doesn't end well. People are like, well, you know, the space program gave us X, Y, or Z. I'm like, well, if you can't put a value on it, you can't put a value on right, it. Right, right. Well, and, and this is something that Carl Sagan was big on as well. Like he hated seeing uh, uh, space travel sold on the benefits of Tang and Velcro because he would say like, well, look, if what you want is practical benefits, you would be much better served taking this this $1 billion and spending it on a think tank to only come up with clever crap for us to use here on Earth. If what you want to do, though, is explore the effing galaxy, then get out there and explore the effing galaxy. Absolutely. Well, yeah, I, I guess the, the biggest thing for for me is like, you know, my mom always used to like say like, listen, there are things where you can be very, very frugal, but you always want to spend the extra money on certain things like a car. You know, like it's always good to spend the extra couple thousand dollars on the right car, on the safe car, you know, because it's going to last you a long time. Something tells me that you should probably use original parts for like a semi-permanent station around the moon. Well, that's the we've talked about before the the next generation rocket, the SLS system, which uses basically it's a combination of solid rocket boosters from the shuttle. It's parts, you know, design systems from the Saturn V and probably will end up using Russian engines for certain stages. And it's not what you would call a sustainable form of technology. It's not what you would call a technology that builds upon what we've learned. I'm not saying it has to be next generation. Part of what made, you know, the SpaceX platform really good is they said, hey, rockets are awesome. Let's try to build a better rocket, knowing what we know now. Let's do as much of it in-house so we have control over everything, so we don't have 500 different systems integration teams that have to figure out what the heck is going on. They've got the expected launch date that NASA seems to think that they're going to have the SLS is, I think, like they say, 2017. And I will I will take bets that won't happen. Now we're looking at we're looking at far later than 2017 for that. And by 2017, we will see more, you know, promising stuff from SpaceX than what the, the I don't, SLS I, I, if, if you had to go by the any previous S timeline, I think 2017, and again, that was the, the latest updated timeline. That's when they said they expect that we'll have like the first test of an unmanned SLS launch. It ain't going to happen in 2017. Now, now not, why not? Why not? Never, never. We've never been able to deliver anything on time ever 
via NASA. <laughs> okay, all right. Well, there's that. There's the, that, the that, track record. Uh, uh, that, that little minor detail. The, the complication of what they're trying to do in building, I, I mean, it's, it's very much a pork project. And that's part of the problem with space when it's you know, government space in, initiatives, which I think we, we love. Okay, love so watching now, mo- now, now here's the thing. Like, like uh, that, that is something that, that me personally I'm inclined to agree with and so on. But it makes me beg the question, like, if not – if NASA doing this the way they're doing it now is a pork project – then where will the money come from from private industry? I mean, it's easy to say, ah, private industry will pick up the slack or whatever. But it's like, but from where? Like, what is the thing that is most likely to be like, well, that's worth so much. It is totally worth spending all this money on this fleet of ships. I think that, I I guess what I would say is that the problem is when you want to do a really, really big project, it's a much harder sell because you're committing the resources for several years going forward. And and where if you say, hey, we want $300 million to do a probe to Mars or we want $50 million to put a, a hydrogen manufacturing plant on the, on the moon or something like that, those you don't have to make as many of those sort of integrity-busting promises to get done. Right. And uh, and I look at you know the idea of NASA wants to put a, a station on the far side. I mean, that sounds awesome to me, but I'm going, man, if we look at what we could do and what would give us really good information, you know, what if we said, hey, you know, uh, factories on the moon. We, we're going to do a project. We're going to launch 10 different kind of factories on the moon, small things the size of VW bugs to see what we can process in the soil, lunar probes or something like that. And, right. and, and people go, well, that's not a sexy or whatever. Like it is and it isn't. I mean, it is in the sense that it's a, if you, if we say that the goal of, if we say right now, we say the goal of NASA is twofold. One is to tell us more about the universe and two, tell us how man can live in that universe. God, I, I don't even know that I care about either of those. I only care about, like, how do we spread throughout the universe? Like, that's literally, I've got the bacteria mindset. Like, yes, humanity is a disease, and we want to spread forever and eternally and and as far as we can go. So, like, that's that, to me, is the beginning and the end. Well, that's the, the second one. How do we spread? I mean, that, that's like yeah. how can man live in the universe would be, you know, what will be the technology to let us do that? Yeah. Which I would put as my primary goal. I mean, I love quasars, but what's more important to me? You know, finding out if we can mine hydrogen on the moon or helium on the moon or, you know, measuring pulsar strength. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, this is the, the era of, 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 of exploration. You know, this is, this is us going to, to new worlds. This is, you know, uh, a, a, yeah, we, we, we could be the Columbus and, and, and Magellan's of our age you know except on a grand new horizon the likes of which we you know are really only now fundamentally comprehending so uh that would be i don't know i mean i'm with you guys obviously we've talked a lot about you know not only space exploration but private space exploration but it's it's to me it seems like like a no-brainer like and and anybody who is like well i don't know about it and you know, that's just, I mean, is anybody against trying? Is anybody against, you know, just you know what? Like this, seeing people do it? This is one of those things, and, and I'm going to call back to uh, uh, Abundance, which was one of my picks from last week. Uh, the, it was, for, of course, co-written by one of the founders of the X Prize, and they were inspired, of course, by the uh, prize that inspired uh, uh, Charles Lindbergh to cross across the Atlantic from France to New York. And uh, as a result of that... As a result of that prize, people died. People 
built craft that were unsound. They took risks that were inappropriate and they died. But on the flip side, the success of that journey caused something that was esoteric, something that was the realm of uh, barnstormers and and uh, of uh, entertainers and instead turned it into the modern day flight industry that we see today, the commercial passenger pilot uh, well, experience. Well- let me ask you this then. The the thing that was great about, you know, the that the original the the prize I forgot what that was, you know, the uh, I'll I'll look it up real yeah. quick. Go ahead. But the the beautiful thing about that was the scale of that problem like Diamandis realized for X Prize was great was that you got these were these were sort of human scale, not government scale type projects. And as government's gotten bigger, we can have these much more massive sort of projects, but as like any large project from designing new operating systems everything else it's never finished when you think it's much more expensive than you think, and by the time you get to it, you're often going well. And 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 that's that's the whole idea. It, it was the Ortig Prize, is what it was. O r t i r t e i g. And uh, what's great about prizes is number one, it, it caters to what makes us human, and we're all built, we're engineered to want to conquer something and and do it first ahead of somebody else. So, you know, we want to be the one to eat the tiger that we killed and and not share with anyone else. And so this plays to that, but from a mathematics standpoint, it forces everybody to invest more resources into something than any one person can possibly get out. Like even even the winners very often spend more than the prize value in order to to get right. far ahead. But uh, but certainly as a group, you have a group of people to take a wildly disparate, uh, edgy, outrageous. Uh, Attacked. To, to well, take what I wanted to get to with that was take a look what James Cameron did this summer. Okay, using I think he did have like I think he had I mean mostly private, but I think there may have been a National Institute of Science grant, some other, but but you know there was he had corporate sponsors, everything else was went deeper than any human being had gone for like fifty years into the ocean. Sure, and we've got this this vast ocean that has just teeming with data and information. We have no idea that we find that currents miles down can have effects on atmosphere, vice versa, our food supply, so many of these things there that we want to know. And, and, you know, Cameron figured out kind of a sexy thing to do, but even still, he didn't get as much attention out of it as I thought he should have. Well, part of it is because there's literally nothing to see down there. And that's, and that's unfortunate. It's, it's like if, if there was, Legitimately, one, one squid monster. Like just yeah. one goddamn thing, it would be amazing. One right? mermaid. Is it? Is it so much to ask for one mermaid? Yeah, come on, man. Let's get it together. I like the idea that he's down there and like he just he's got like little things on wires. He's hanging in front of them. It's, oh, what's that? And it's like the guy who did Avatar <laughs> is forced to like do a puppet show to try to convince us things are there. He's he's down there and he's like once he gets busted, he's like yes, but it's the world's deepest hoax of this <laughs> variety. Yeah. No, it'll be it'll be interesting. I think when we see companies, we've like I said, we've never before had this much intellectual capital, this much venture capital going into space exploration, not just SpaceX, like we mentioned for Blue Origins, the doing stuff, uh, uh, you have orbital sciences, but they're kind of using existing technology like their hardware, I think is like Soviet engines, et cetera. But there are some people trying to develop entirely new, which they're finding is very, very difficult. But each time they move a little bit more forward, we learn something. No. I just want people to be space positive. <laughs> Enough of this this mopey, 
nonsense. Just be, let's just be, all be space positive. We're happy about space. We want more space. You're tired of all the, the space negative talk? Like, oh, there's nothing. It's just a dirty void. If you get caught out it's there. Just, oh, just the hand ringing. Oh, space you, shuttle's gone. We all hate space. Let's all blame other oh, people for things. You know, yeah, you know they what can happens? do that. Guess where I'm going in two weeks. I'm going to go watch SpaceX launch another rocket to the International Space Oh, Station. you know what's going to happen? You're going to catch yeah. the cosmic rays when you do that. That's what happens when little missies like you go around holding hands with the space folk. All right? Can you can you please be respectful to your I family? I love space. I'm not going to let anybody tell me I can't. Your father thought he loved space, and he married me. So why don't you get it together and res- bring respect to your family, all right? Time for I don't know where this went, but I really enjoy it. <laughs> it's, it's Time it's, for a commercial break. It's a bizarre future where uh, Andrew's mother is married to space. It looks like you. Uh, hey, everybody. Uh, there's a guy who loves the show and really wanted to support it. Uh, so we're going to pimp his Twitter. It's Flow, T-H-L-O-W-E. Oh, my God. I totally uh, catch all of thrill- Flow's throws. Flo- the old thro- Flow's throws, I call them. That's Yeah, Brian's new segment, Flow's throws, <laughs> sponsored by Lowe's. Uh, so go ahead and uh, and, and follow him. Uh, T-H-L-O-W-E, fan of the show. So, you know, you're like, hey, I want a like-minded person to talk about weird stuff. Boom, flow right in your mouth. Flow's your bro is what I like to say. He's your bro. If you would like to be like flow and support this show, then go ahead and uh, go over to weirdthings.com slash sponsor. Weirdthings.com slash sponsor. And, uh, you can buy a live read for only thirty dollars. <laughs> Whoa, that sounds amazing! Like, what a good deal! Uh, how did you put "ler" on the end of "whoa"? Hey, man, you were able to make sponsors, sponsor or something. <laughs> I think you were just talking about uh, former Atlanta Braves pitcher Mark Wollers. I was talking about the TV star Mark Wahlberg. I, I got nothing. Are you guys? Are you guys amused? Are you having yes. funny? Yes. Yeah. I hope you're laughing now because we're facing a crisis that I don't think any of you have ever fathomed before. Oh my God! I was waiting for when we could make a return to the Weird Things War Room. All of a sudden, the world has gone black. The three of us have teleported. There's Doctor Strangelove's corpse over in the corner. There's uh, the three of us surrounded by nukes and and priests. And we're finally able to make a decision to affect humanity. What do you got? I got. Now, this is serious, Brian. I mean, we need to solve this problem. I'm serious. And, and what about that setup? Did not sound like I was serious. Go ahead. I, I'm going to tell you this. Uh, I don't think even Elon Musk, saint of this patron saint of the show, can solve this problem. Maybe he can. I don't want to sell the guy short. Which, okay, okay. Real, real quick. By the way, one sub thing to the Elon Musk. Uh, there was my favorite article ever that came down like uh, two weeks ago that talked about Elon Musk looking to get back on the dating scene and <laughs> uh, uh, figuring out that he really uh, needed, <laughs> it was like 10 hours a week. He's like, listen, I can offer a girl 10 hours a week. Well, and he was saying that was like what they require was like. Required. Yes. Yeah. He was the mathematically engineer, so breaking like 10 down. hours a week. I don't know where I'd have it, you know. Yeah, exactly. But mathematically breaking down the bare minimum 
of <laughs> what you need to do mathematically to maintain a relationship was my favorite thing ever. You know, I've always wondered why Elon Musk was Andrew Maine's hero. He's got three kids. <laughs> All right. I'm just saying, who doesn't break that down to how much time that they require? <laughs> <laughs> All right, anyway, all right, so, I'm sorry. So you were the saying, problem. Even ahead. Elon would have a go problem ahead. solving. But yes. like, like yeah, the old 11 hour like, girl Elon, issue. All I know is that guy managed to start like three incredible companies and have children and figure that out. Now he's back on the dating scene to figure this out. If I need any more reason to feel inadequate and, you know, <laughs> unfulfilled. See, what's funny alone. is like, I, God damn, I just wish you and I could merge together like a cybernetic Voltron or some crap because, like, you've got. The talent and the ability and, and the brilliance and the writing capability and the background and magic to achieve awesome things. I've got the wife and the kids, and awesome then the two man. of us together, we could actually make something awesome. We could be the Elon Musk of magic if we could do this. I could just have you committed and adopt your family. Sure. Why don't you do that? <laughs> See, that's the problem. You can't enter into a deal like that with Andrew. Right? <laughs> He's just like, oh, look, this is an interesting idea, Brian. We'll talk there's, about there's, this. A, there's a far more efficient method, and it doesn't involve like you at all, Brian. It's awesome. <laughs> that's like that's like you like, oh, you know, listen, uh, honey, I, I made a, a great deal with Michael Douglas from Wall Street. Like, <laughs> yes. You're like, good news. We've been acquired by Mainco <laughs> as a wholly owned <laughs> subsidiary of Mainco. You will be sleeping with Andrew Maine from now on. <laughs> Very intriguing plan. Um, I will say no more lest I get punched next time we see each other. All right, good. Bye, Bonnie. What's, no uh, what's this problem? <laughs> All right, go ahead. Yeah, back to the serious problem. Try to divert it. Try to laugh it up, guys, okay? But I'm not buying it. All right? I'm going to tell you, I need you guys to figure out what this problem is, okay? Because I'm I'm upset that you don't know, and so I'm not just going to give it to you and give you a free ride. And maybe maybe if you're paying attention to my know, Twitter dude. feed, you know what I'm talking about here. Give us a free ride. We might be more interested in your proposal. We're facing a shortage. Well, let's get let's get done with the free ride, and then we'll decide how much shortage we were dealing with. Well, the shortage relates to droughts in North America and Russia. Hmm. There's a shortage of droughts. Everything has repercussions. Wait a minute. Are you are you trying to make a case for there's a problem that there's not enough droughts? No, I'm saying Wait. we the, the no, droughts no, no, no. were plenty. Okay, and because of this drought, we're having a little bit of a problem here. Not enough water. Um, Too much water. Does is it something with water? Well, the, the water affected crops, and because of the lack of crops, this this lack of crops is affecting something else very important. Comedy. Uh, hemp festival. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, come on. Circle get, of life, gentlemen. Get serious. So it rains. Rain goes into the water, goes into the river, rivers, all that stuff. In Whatever. the livers. Water goes here. in the too livers, caffeine. too. Yeah, sure. Feeds the fields. The fields grow grain. The grain gets harvested, all right? And then we subsidize some industries to turn that grain into food, or excuse me, not in food, but into fuel for cars, which is stupid. But we'll get past that, okay? Sure. Then what's there? We take that grain and then we eat some of it. Mmm, these Cheerios are sure. awesome, okay? We turn it into fuel. And then we t- take some of that grain and we feed it to cows. We're like, mmm, this is great. How but then we milk? eat the cows. Squirt, squirt. Then we feed it to the pigs. What's wrong but with pigs? Why are you getting weird about pigs? Everyone's weird about pigs. 
We may not have enough pigs for bacon. We may be facing a bacon shortage, Brian. Oh, dear God. Global bacon shortage unavoidable next year, says the United Kingdom's National Pig Association. What? So, all right. To, to be fair, they said it like, there's going to be a bacon shortage there is coming up next year. All right. Eh? So you sit there, you eat your bacon, and then now there ain't no bacon. Pig farmers are cutting back on the size of their herds. Technically, is a pig herd? Is it a herd of pigs? I mean, Whatever, really dude. It's 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 it's. A, I know they rescue baby. I goats. believe a group of pigs is a, a delicious. It's a delicious of pigs. Did you see the baby pig rescuing the baby goat? No. What I saw was baby bacon rescuing baby goat's cheese. Okay. No, seriously. Did you see that video? Nope. No, I didn't see that. YouTube video right now. Pig right. rescue goat. Hold on, I'm gonna do it right now. We, we... All right, so so Andrew, while 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 uh, while Brian uh, finds this video, so what we're looking at right now is just a, a lack of pigs breeding, or we can't feed them. Yeah, because like, there's what's not the problem? Rain to go around. They're not having as they're not having as many pigs and pigs. It's not like you say I want. It's not like it's not like they don't run it like Foxconn. You know, where all of a sudden you say we need one million slices of bacon next week. Pigs have to grow. <laughs> Maybe the problem NASA could solve. Maybe the problem is they're not shouting loud enough at the pigs. They just gotta Maybe hurry we up. need space bacon is what I'm saying. NASA's looking for something to do. I think we figured it out. All right, hold on. Let's take a look at this right here. We got pigs in space and angry birds. Baby goats in the water. That it's baby goat. It's, gonna... it's really annoying when they do that. Along comes rescue. Oh, oh look at that. God. It's adorable. Baby goat got its foot stuck and rescue pig comes along and pushes the goat. Rescues the goat. <laughs> <laughs> baby pig just keeps going on. And it ain't no is, thing. That's the single cutest thing of all time. <laughs> I'm sorry, but that's the I, I I very rarely, almost never, do I multitask during this show. But I'm going to post that right now because that <laughs> is an adorable video. So. I mean, pigs are pretty awesome. I mean, it's part of the reason why they're so tasty, and it makes you think that the smarter something is, the tastier it may be. Sure. So, anyhow, we're facing a bacon shortage. So we shortage. should kill and eat Andrew May. <laughs> I'm all bluster. Trust me. Uh, man, I, I uh, bacon is pretty rad. And to be honest, for as good as bacon is, it's always been cheaper than it should be. And... A weird part of my brain wants to say if there is a shortage and we have to pay more for bacon, then so be it. I'm But that means not everybody gets bacon. You and your one percenters are sure you're gonna get your bacon. <laughs> anyone who wants to pay the price will get their bacon. Just like anyone who wants to pay the price gets their gas right now. But Brian, look, Brian, my, you're look, forgetting. Nobody asked me what I wanted when they doubled the price of gas. And if they're gonna do that to bacon, wow, well, guess how, what? How, how, Fast does this go to Brian shutting the doors on the space arc? Like he's let me, just, let, Brian, he's like, let, me let me reemphasize this here. The problem is there is there is a demand curve here, and right. it's not like the Foxconn factory where you say, "Hey, work faster," and more iPhones come out. Okay, okay. Pigs take a while to grow. Yeah. First, you got to get the mama pig and the daddy pig to do it, and then you got to take that baby pig, and it takes a while. So yeah. There'll be more bacon, but do you want to wait a year for that bacon or two years for that bacon? How long does it take? 
Well, how all right? So, like, but like, what what are the all right? So, so the problems are in droughts and grain production, right? It, like, so why aren't we focusing on a synthetic thing to shove in pigs' faces? And by the way, they're pigs, aren't they? By nature, supposed to eat anything? Shouldn't we just give them four cans tied together and Dude, they'll like be fine? I'll, I'll tell you what, I'll take that a step farther. Why are we still growing the meat, the bacon inside of these pigs? Inside the pigs. Why are we not growing them in a lab? The funny you should mention that, Brian. Go ahead. You know, if you do a search for lab grown, your first result is lab grown diamonds. Second result, lab grown meat. Third result. Oh, hold on, hold on. Here. Lab grown organs. Yeah, all right. This is lab grown. Hold on, let me. Lab. You like where it fills in the search for you? Yeah, sure. Oh, it's not showing it on here. It's not. It's not displaying it. Oh, yeah, gosh. I got diamonds, meat, and organs. Yeah, and then there ruby, then sapphire, then emeralds, then heart. Uh, well, where's bacon? There it is. Diamonds, meats, organs, ruby. Why would ruby be the <laughs> the most popular? Here's here's the here's. I'm going to tell you. An exciting development that they haven't even caught on to. All right, yet, hold okay? on, hold on. Lab grown B. You got beef bladder, blue diamonds, and bismuth. Lab grown BA. You got babies, and then finally bacon, <laughs> and then bacteria grown in the lab. I'm disappointed with how far down lab grown bacon is on the search. But we're very close to having lab grown leather. And more right. importantly, scientists have been able to make bacon from growing stem cells. What? Real pinky swear? Real. And, and using pig, pig stem pinkies. cells, not our own. Our stem sure. cells are awesome. They're not that awesome yet. Yeah, you never know. So it's growing. I mean, it's a growing research now, project. Would you have you any? Have- would you have any hesitation about eating lab-grown meat? Not a hard, not 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 at all. Yeah, I'm the same way. So side. Wait, note, I mean, wait, but what if adjusting. it tasted kind of weird? Like, what if it was like like the Nutra sweet to sugar? To, oh, dude, no, so much the better. I already eat Nutra sweet to sugar, and if it's Nutra sweet that didn't involve slaughtering an innocent animal, then it great. could rescue goats. Yeah. But what, what if the if slaughter made that water it good? There, Justin? See, what I, if the more it suffered, this, the more this it was is what delicious. I thought. This is exactly where I thought you would go with this. Is that like you could taste the misery in every bite of the <laughs> animal? You're like, yes, well, but the suffering, I must taste it. Well, we have a you know right now. There's the big controversy where you know I think in California people want to pass legislation to make it where you have to label foods that use genetically modified. Okay, organisms. that is horse crap, by the way, and I'm done with it. I'm so like I was on the fence, but then like reading abundance, it's like when you when you find out before GMO what we were doing, like like uh, genetically modified, uh, you know, organics or, or organisms involved us precisely taking specific genes from one thing and switching them to another and so on. But before then, what we did was we threw plants in like uh, radioactive bioreactors. Yeah. Yes. We, we gave them cancer and we took like diseased ass plants and, and horrifically mutated a thousand of them so that one of them would have a useful mutation. And uh, ironically, and I think I'm using ironically correctly when I say this, uh, those surviving strains are now labeled organic 
and yep. are, uh, um, you know, not so bad. Yeah, like exactly. The wheat, we're using their strains of organic wheat that came from a nuclear reactor right now. Yep. Now we have this. We have this thing like, oh, what's the harm in having to label it, you know, genetically modified? Well, I'll give you an example. Uh, two days ago, a blog which I like, but I won't name by name, had this thing like, oh, you know, they don't. It, it was this. Oh, you know, we should be labeling it, and why don't they want to label it? And they, maybe it's because of this study. And they linked to this study that came out of, like, France last week that said, oh, we found these harmful effects of genetically modified organisms. It was a horrible study. Every scientist that's, you know, it was not actually peer-reviewed by, like, real scientists. It got torn apart because, you know, they they won't get into the particulars of it, but extremely small sample size. It was done by a group that was trying to prove their case. They used uh, used an animal that was prone towards tumors, et cetera. It was a a horrific case of data selection. There was no mechanism there by which they could say what this did. And the genetically genetically modified uh, grain that they were looking at, all the genetic modification did was, like, increase a protein that made it more resilient to, like, insects, okay? Right, right. So the reason there's an opposition to putting labels on this is because of this hysteria, because of people, the fear-mongering – that people can bring up. And there's a very, very, very simple solution. If you want to put a label to say not made from genetically modified organisms. Yeah. All right. There you go. Voluntary. So so do, yeah. So basically have your own certified organic kind of movement that is, you know, certified non genetically modified or whatever. Right. Sure. And, And not make it voluntary. If you don't use it, fine, do that. But, it's just it gets into this very scary superstitious area because you know, it's like people go, why don't we you know why don't we put labels on it to tell people what's in there? And it's like okay, why don't we put labels on there to tell people what the religion was or the person that picked it? Because to some people that's really important. Yeah, I agree. Well, yeah, we I mean I don't do know, that. and it's also like you know what our line for how we've changed things in terms of farming and harvesting and, and, uh, you know, distributing food and how we preserved it, uh, you know, over long distances and everything that's changed greatly over the past, you know, 50 years The way the way, you know, our, uh, you know, from, from what has happened from origin of food to us eating it has always evolved, you know, and this is just another, I mean, mutation of that, you know, to pardon the pun, uh, too soon, but one that, by and large, it seems to be a, a great one. I mean, has, has done nothing but benefit us. Well, it's, we, we made this comment before on the last show. It was like, remember when poor people were skinny? Yeah, sure. Yeah. And and that's the uh, you know the the problem of choice and abundance is that you know it's it's you can consume too much. Uh, do we want to, want one well, more? Except, or? Unless, except in New York, where apparently they're going to do their best to legislate any ability to be oh, fat don't, ever. Don't, don't even get me started on that. <laughs> All I'm going to say so is the person behind that legislation has a like a hundred foot yacht that parks in Fort Lauderdale, and I have a feeling he has never ever reached for the big gulp cup in his life. <laughs> and understands like, ah, oh, God, I got a really long car trip. Let me run into McDonald's and grab something that'll last me. Right. Not his problem. No. He rings a no. little bell. Somebody brings it to him. All right. All right. Well, I'll tell you what. How about this? I got a little uh, sponsor read for you. This is a first. This is me reading. This is a first for me to sponsor anything like this, but I feel I've received more than $30 in inspiration, education, and motivation from the three men I like to call the Brio or the Brainy Trio. From Justin, I've received laughter. He makes me laugh in pretty much everything he says does and impersonates online 
And we can just end it there. We can end the, the <laughs> read right keep, there. Keep reading it. Go. From Brian, I've solved internet audio broadcast troubles, but more importantly, he taught me to say yes and immediately to everything that comes my way. If I want to be successful, yes. get your minds out of the gutter. And finally, from Andrew, I've learned too much and not enough. My life has transformed financially from knowing all of you. Thank you and much love. So thank you. That's amazing. Uh, uh, to Kelly. Kelly uh, sent that in. Kelly, you are the greatest person who ever lived, and that puts you ahead of Benjamin Franklin, puts you ahead of um, uh, Benjamin Franklin. <laughs> and Junior. It's a one-man line. Even Brent Benjamin Franklin. You, that is amazing. By the way, all right, so on the way up to, to Twit today, I, uh, I drove by a Benjamin Franklin's, uh, Benjamin Franklin's plumbing. And, oh, yeah. And so it was... Uh, Benjamin Franklin holding a gigantic wrench, an oversized wrench. But Benjamin Franklin also has like modern sunglasses, like, like, <laughs> as like if there's nothing the, to do with the deal with it. It's just like the one thing is like, like okay, yeah, yeah. It's like okay, so he has the gigantic like thing, but then also like, I mean, you can't have him rolling around without shades. It's ben Franklin, <laughs> yeah. dude, he's so dope. You know what's awesome is if you get a chance, I recommend it everybody, particularly anybody young out there. Read his autobiography. Read his autobiography. You can get it on your Kindle. You can get it on iBooks. It's free. It's online. I think the copyright finally ran out. Uh, he, it is very, very inspirational because this is a guy that was born into is born as an indentured servant, put into indentured servitude rather to like, his brother. And let's call it like it is. He was a slave leading up to he, possibly he, being an apprentice. And he ran away. Yeah. Uh, Went off to England, first chance he had to go run an errand, and then on his way back, he's sitting there on the boat and traveling and you know, traveling back then, not fun. He made a pledge that he was going to be prosperous and successful. He was poor, dirt poor, made a made a promise to himself that he would be industrious, successful, came back, committed his mind to doing that, and said, What if I got all these other enterprising young men who wanted to be successful and we got together and we we you know created what he called a junta junta at that time? or Jintu, and got together to be industrious and productive and creative and pick each other's brains, go, how could we do this better? And Benjamin Franklin probably became, uh, besides the fact he became probably the wealthiest man in America, Yeah, created the modern post office, the idea of the library, and so many other institutions that have affected our lives and changed the way we live. And just an amazing, amazing American, amazing entrepreneur, amazing statesman, inventor, all of these things. And he was a guy that started with nothing. And what he had was his brain and put himself in a position where that would give him the most advantage he could. Did you know that he figured out the uh, jet stream? I probably read that but didn't remember that. Yeah, no. He was the one who figured out that, like, uh, wow, it sure is faster going back to France and England than it is coming back and figured out that uh, that there's a jet stream that pushed them faster Along. Amazing guy. Amazing guy. I just, just absolutely incredible. And today, and you could read his autobiography, and it is extremely lucid. It makes it's very coherent. And part of the reason is, is because his writing style affected American literature from then all the way up to today. And that the way we all speak in part has to do with because remember he was the biggest newspaper publisher, he wrote tons of books, etc. And we are all his children in a way. 
Some of us are his children, like biologically. We may all quite literally be his children. He was a friendly dude. Amazing. I'm I'm just gonna say he might he might have left a litter like a like an NBA star. (laughs) There are some people who say that was just more of a. A, a reputation he tried to create but wasn't real but then you wonder if that's just the thing Dude, that he i don't said. care no, if it's baby, real or not the fact that he's going around saying it that's good it's, enough for me he's yeah. he's a boss that it, that it was said it was said of him bf equals pimp is the equation i learned <laughs> <laughs> all right so uh one little bit of news here which is pretty cool makerbot unveiled their next generation makerbot go uh what's special about it this is it's shiny, it's black, um, it's got a hundred micron layer resolution. What? So a hundred microns is like what, like three human hairs, basically? It's like a few, like a couple sheets of paper. I think it's like a uh, trying to find an example here to describe that. I saw that MakerBot was on the cover of of Wired magazine this month. Uh, I just got my magazine, and that was the first thing I noticed. Um, uh, that guy, I, I, I was Brie Petty. Petit? Yes, Brie. I met him at um, uh, at a totally rad show live meetup at South by Southwest. I met him again at CES a few years later, and that guy is going to be. We're going to be talking about him like we were just talking about uh, Benjamin Franklin, and I'm thrilled that I got to meet him beforehand. So a grain of sand, like a hair is between forty to three hundred microns. Um, so let's say a sheet of pa- thick, thinnest, however thick a th- sheet of paper is. And what that means is... Wait, 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 wait. So you said 100 microns, right? That's You, you have the, the hair. You're right. Yes. Yeah. Dude, I never get anything right, but I got to write did, this. See, the hairs, hairs awesome. with them like 40 to 300 microns. It's a big range there, but you are right on. Yeah. So uh, give an example of what that means, the significance of it. You know, when you have these machines, these 3D machines, they take this plastic they melt it and they extrude it into little layers and let you build something up from that plastic and now this can take a couple different kinds of plastic they use a uh, polylactic acid which is made from corn yeah um which is not going to feed pigs which is going to cause a bacon shortage but we'll, we'll just forget <laughs> Dude, that i will moment. give up the bacon for the free 3d printing are you kidding me it can use other things but one of the things you that's significant about these machines and you know when you looked at like a computer in 1978 what what should you look for in a computer and people Punch i don't cards. know but here, the thing that's significant about this is that resolution, because you can you can take a piece of plastic and a match, and you can make something right now if you want. It's sure. not going to look like what you want. But if you can extrude your plastic in a very, very small little layer, step by step, like 100 microns at a time, you can make objects where when you look at them from a photo away, it does not look immediately like it was came out of this little MakerBot machine. And that's significant. And as we evolve the technology, we're going to start getting to... 50 microns and then 10 microns and maybe we're going to come up with new types of heads that use maybe lasers and ultrasonics etc whatever to get even more fine precision there you're going to start being able to make watch pieces of watches inside of there and start extruding you know metallics that are conductive and make electronics and stuff but this 100 micron thing is a pretty significant it's kind of i don't think we're quite at like retina display level but we're getting very close and this is for something that's a manufactured product would be great an amazing amazing thing it's a couple thousand dollars i think it's like a little over it's like twenty three hundred dollars and which is mind-blowingly cheap for something in that area i mean if it's you go well why would i spend that well it's not well you know for the 
every consumer right now. Well, but, but keep in mind also, like, uh, there's something truly magical about a 3D printer where uh, it captures the excitement of people in a way that is not possible with anything else. And and I mean, what what I'm trying to say is, like, my daughter is eight years old, and not as a joke, not ironically, it's like sincerely, like, Dad, seriously, could, when can we get a 3D printer? Because she's read enough she's listened to articles about it uh on podcasts and she's just like that sounds like magic and i would like a magic machine in my house and it made me think back to when i was a kid and i got that excited about a dot matrix printer man it was it was unbelievable oh, yeah. and i'm thrilled that we're in this age where that's gonna happen we're gonna see by the end of this decade every kindergarten is going to have these things and kids are going to sit down, they're going to draw things, and they'll sit down using computers, make their own little 3D or whatever sort of interfaces they use. Coming Instead of making really crappy ashtrays, start making interesting little toys. And I think that we are going to have a generation of makers. Well, and keep in mind the down-the-road things. Like right now what we're going to do uh, – th- there are two things to consider. Number one is the intellectual property side of things where all of a sudden people are doing crowdsourced models of the uh, the Incredible Hulk, we'll say, right? And they're better than anything that Marvel has to offer as far as 3D models of the Incredible Hulk. And But it's free and open-sourced and everybody's able to print them out and, and and create them to put them on their desktop. There you go on the bad side of the technology. Well, well, I'm just, I'm just saying, like, <laughs> there, there is this. Uh, we think of things like BitTorrent as uh, this, this um, uh, software-only phenomenon. But the information behind something, once anyone can replicate anything, like who owns what? I mean, what we understand what it means to own a patent or a trademark or a uh, or a character, but. When somebody just creates something that's an homage to something else and it's for free available everywhere over BitTorrent and anyone could download it, like that that's a whole new phase of things. I think that's fascinating. Uh, yeah, I think I think that I mean we're certainly you know, you can you can you can print out copies of comic books right now and you can indulge in sort of intellectual piracy on that kind of thing and you have to figure out you know, at, at what at what point does the piracy encourage or inhibit? And those things are hard to know. But I think that, you know, as we've seen with using Chinese manufacturing, et cetera, the cost of a lot of things is driving down so low. And also remember that the home printer did not negate the bookstore because it was still so damn expensive to print out your own copy of a hardcover book. Sure, sure. You know, and, you know, it took us until just a couple of years ago that electronically – Kindles, etc., made it viable to you know get that, and Amazon was able to learn from the lessons of you know the music industry and everything else, and say let's get into this pricing model, so we'll make it cheap enough that people will want to just buy it for the Kindle. Where the publishers don't quite realize that if they keep trying to keep the price of their books prohibitively high, they are going to be facing a bit torrent for books and stuff like that, and you could see an entire collapse of an industry, which I think would be bad. I think it would be very very bad. But, you know, the precision of these things is that, you know, we're going to we're still a long way off from, you know, popping out iPhone fives out of these machines. And when you get to that point, I do think that the kinds of services or things that we buy, you know, you don't just you're not just going to buy a movie. You know, you're not going to buy, you know, Dark Knight Rises. You're going to buy this always have it any device you want, the behind the scenes kind of thing or some other kind of level service to something or the collectible Hulk figurine. It's going to be because it was designed by. You know, like art today, you can you can counterfeit art, but you want to buy it from the person who created the art. 
Sure, sure. Man, should we talk Crazy picks? Times. All right. Yeah, let's talk picks. I'm going to go first. Go ahead. Gentlemen, um, we've talked here before about, you know, sometimes there's great sci-fi, sometimes there's not. You know, we wish there was more of it. And uh, shame on you both. Shame, what? shame, shame. What? Shame. I mean, I will apologize if I'm wrong on this. How many of you saw Judge Dredd? Dude, it's all I I, in my defense. I was out of town, but universally across the board, I am hearing nothing but good things about the new Dread 3D movie. Dread 3D. I saw it with my dad Friday night. I really dug it. I didn't walk out of there going, "Oh my god, this is like Dark Knight." But I walked out of there going, "This is this was a really good." fun and the more i think about it the more i like it though i'm gonna go back and watch i really enjoyed it i loved it my dad loved it dread 3d i was able to overcome the idea that it was in 3d and just enjoy it it was a great adaptation of the dread comic the dread comic in that sense that it you know it was not too campy i mean it was just created this world that had weight to it that you you cared about the characters you were invested in it uh it was shot really well they did a, a really clever thing and what they did is they, they went through all the different judge dread stories they could do and, and for those of you who don't know judge dread is this enforcer in this futuristic america where there's only one city mega city one in this apocalyptic world and a judge goes around disciplining justice on the scene if you're guilty and he decides you can be killed he'll just kill you right then he's, and there. he's judge jury and execution are all in one like he, he actually he evaluates you he Issues a judgment and then executes it right at that moment. And it's it's this uh, amazing kind of idea. It came out of like the late 1970s, early 1980s, in the, the comic 2000 AD where it uh, first came from. And I remember as a kid going to comic book shops and getting that comic and reading those stories and loving that. The Sylvester Stallone movie took some elements from it and just went way over the top campy. And the problem is, is that if you want to tell a compelling story, people need to understand and get into that universe. And for the Dread movie, they thought, oh, let's do, we could do the, the Dark Judges and all this other stuff. And they said, you know what? People don't know what that is. They don't understand the universe. Let's do more of a day-in-the-life kind of thing. So this is sort of like one mission he goes on, and it's great because it's it's got some bigger ramifications, but it's more of just dread in action. Thoroughly enjoyed the movie, but unfortunately, here's the thing. For a movie like this to succeed, it wasn't a very big budget movie. It needs to do a certain amount of money box office wise. And the figure for this was to get a sequel, they'd need to do 50 million in the United States. Right. This weekend, a lot of people had an interest in it. Not enough people went out and saw it. And it did very, very poorly over the weekend. But we could save Dread. Like we all go see it. Tell everybody else to go see it and get some word of mouth going on the thing. All right. Maybe the studio will go, you know what? We didn't advertise it right because. Everybody I know who saw it loved it. Well, then and it's got it's got uh, good people in it. I mean, of course, Judge Dredd is uh, is it Urban? So I, I think there, there, there's another Urban that's a country singer, but he's not that one. Keith I think it's Urban. Keith. Is it Keith Urban? Keith, Keith, yeah. Keith, Keith Urban, who played Bones in uh, the new Star Trek. Uh, it has, of course, Sarah wait, wait, Connor. No, 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 wait, Sarah wait, Connor Keith Urban is the country singer. Uh, Who's the other uh, one? Cersei Lannister. Uh, I, I was saying that Keith Urban was the country Carl singer. Urban. Carl Urban. There you from go. From Lord of the Rings trilogy, Bones. Yes. McCoy. And uh, understand, how good is Dread? 
the critics gave it. Understand the critics gave this is a comic book, ultra violent comic book movie. It is ultra violent in an awesome way. The critics gave it a 77% on Rotten Tomatoes. This is amazing. Okay. Uh, should we uh, can, can we play a clip of it right here? Can I get to take a look at it yeah. real quick? I want to do whatever we can. All right. Look, this is one of our few moments to sponsor things. Here we go. This is uh, an exclusive clip of some variety. Check this out. Audio listeners, go with the rookie. You ready? Yes, sir. Dude, it's gorgeous, the cinematography. Wow. Is the whole movie this visual? When it needs to be. Wow. The whole thing is like a still life. Well, and, and the conceit to this is that the people in, in the in the room are, are on drugs, right? Yeah, it's a drug called slow time. When you do it, like time slows down like 100%. So when you see these, they, what they did a very smart thing. Like when Matrix did bullet time, bullet time was a significant, bullet time was an actual thing. Other movies that do bullet time, they just do it as, oh, we saw this in the Matrix, let's do this. Here, when they do their own stylistic slowing down, it's because of this drug that people take. It slows time down. So you see this this gunfight that really would take only three seconds slow down to 30. And it's it's but I'm not saying that's not the reason to see the movie. I'm the movie. Sure. Sure. Carl Carl Urban never takes off the 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 Judge Dredd helmet. Never commits to the character. And he's fully in character. It's this Clint Eastwood badass kind of judge character. I mean, it's really, I I thoroughly, I thought, man, I watched this and I looked around at the theater. I go, man, this sucks. There's not enough people here because if they do 50 million domestic, we get a sequel. This is a franchise people want to see. Well, I'll tell you what, man. Universal, 100%. Everyone says they really enjoyed it and they all say they were really surprised by it. And so whatever we can do to help make that happen, let's do that. Listen, our audience is not insignificant and if you start running the numbers of how many people actually went to go see it this weekend everybody listening to my voice we could almost double that. the number of people no and double we wouldn't double but it would actually i mean you would be able to we'd say oh it would, it would bring x to you know the the the, the factor so so, I, so everybody take the dread pledge this week and and by yes. the time that we record the next episode of weird things uh make sure that you show up and you have fulfilled your obligation to judge Dread because it's uh, it's an awesome movie. We support awesome movies. And I'm going to tell you, here's the thing. You think, like, maybe it's not for me. See it anyways because the reason is it's for us. Yeah. Help your friends out. You're doing it for me personally. Exactly. I want more got, movies like this. And it's this. a test run because we got Looper coming out with, you know, Ryan Johnson's flick with Joseph Gordon-Levitt. Yeah. And we don't want good sci-fi to get under supported. People complain about, oh, they killed Firefly. Fact, they took Firefly. You know why? Because you didn't watch it. You bit right. it. Right now, let me start the pledge. Let's get all of the Weird Things audience to commit to seeing Looper. Also, go see Wreck-It Ralph. And also... All right, all right. You want to know what? Uh, Brian leads into <laughs> my pick, which is uh, the fine show that he does with Tom Merritt called Frame Rate, because... This week, uh, we kicked off the winter movie draft. Uh, we've talked about it. We made mention to it on this uh, show, the summer movie draft and the winter movie draft. But basically, it's like a fantasy sports for movies. So basically, we went through uh, the, the league 
this year for the winter movie draft is me, Brian, Tom Merritt, Sarah Lane, Scott Johnson, and uh, Father Robert Balliser of uh, This Week in Enterprise Tech on, on the Twit Network. And uh, we pick through the movies, and uh, we all have our have our picks. But I think it's something that that I know I really really enjoy in terms of uh, you know, adding another layer to following movies and trailers and and reviews and stuff like that. There's it adds makes it a little bit more fun. And uh, we invited for the record we uh, last. Last week, I think it was after the show, invited Andrew to play, and he he demurred like a, a recovering uh, drug addict uh, being offered a crack pipe uh, <laughs> because he didn't want to get too obsessed uh, with, with, with the league. So we, we, we would have Andrew in there, but he's busy actually creating stuff instead of talking about other people's creations. But go ahead and check it out. It's frame rate. Uh, all right. Well, then I guess for my cl- – uh... It's it's hard for me to know which I already talked about last week and which ones I are new for this week. But if you don't remember last week, I asked for recommendations from everybody on Twitter of what audiobooks I should listen to. And last week, I listened to uh, Red Shirts by John Scalzi, which was a lot of fun. It started off looking like uh, one story, but luckily turned into another one, which I like quite a bit. Abundance was incredible and. Uh, uh, really enjoyed putting out the word on that. And now I just finished this morning uh, the the Terry Pratchett, The Long Earth that uh, I mentioned earlier. Um, there were times, Andrew, and I know this is of interest to you, there were times that it really almost felt like a um, – uh, what's the name of the guy who wrote uh, Pandora Star? Peter F. Hamilton. It almost felt like Peter F. Hamilton at times. Uh, everything about the story was great, except for it very, very abruptly and bizarrely ended almost mid-sentence. And I mean that literally. Like, like I'm just listening to the story. This great third-act twist happens, and you wonder, like, well, I wonder what that's going to do to things. And then the credits roll. So outside of the ending... Uh, I got to give a huge recommendation to the rest of the book because it gave me another toy to think about intellectually. And of course, if is I did, there, is there more of it? I don't know yet. I think I think it only came out this year, so I think it's hopefully there will be more. But for right now, it was it was way tough. Um, you can just suck on it and like it. Oh yeah, pretty much. But outside of that, uh, my only other recommendation was if you have an eight-year-old daughter who is experiencing science fiction for the first time. And you have the opportunity to read out loud to her Ender's Game. I highly recommend it because it was an exquisite experience for me. There we go. So kidnap yourself an eight-year-old daughter and uh, start reading old Ender's Game. And go. And take them to see Judge Dredd. Yes. <laughs> Every ticket counts. Amazing. Well, everybody, it's been weird. I said, it's been weird. You want to sponsor the podcast? Do you have $30? If so, go to weirdthings.com slash sponsor, and you can have Justin say whatever you want. He's a trained ape.